As I looked through the Save Bell Bowl Prairie website, I saw bright green photos of bumblebees and wild bergamot and prairies, which was a striking contrast to the dark reality that played out. But I think it's a similar contrast that we as humans deal with every single day. Consumption versus conservation. Better for them versus better for us. Love versus greed. Now, I understand this may seem like a little bit of a stretch for a Prairie podcast, but I wanted to get to the heart of our conservation mindset. I wanted to get to the heart of what we believe in, and I believe that the Bell Bull Prairie saga plays this out perfectly for us. Hi, I'm Nicholas Lirio, and this is the Prairie Farm Podcast. We've got a little bit of a different one for you guys. I'm here alone today, and I wanted to go through the events of the Bell Bull Prairie. Now, if you don't know what happened or haven't even heard of it in the news, that is okay. It was a big thing in the conservation world, and it is something that we want to talk about. Now, it's conflicting. We're not fully on one side of this view. We actually want to share why we understand both sides. And without further ado, let's jump into it. The Bell Bull Prairie, which is found in Illinois, has a history stretching back well over 100 years. Now, the prairie itself is probably 8 to 12,000 years old, but the first recollection that we have of it started in 1917. What in the world is the Bell Bull Prairie? Well, in 1917, the U.S. government gave an allotted area of land about 5,600 acres to Camp Grant. So this Bell Bull Prairie's first um, uh, first recognition was in the description of the Bell of Camp Grant, and it was called Camp Grant Prairie. Now, now today, Bell Bull Prairie has been one of the last remaining prairie remnants in Illinois, and one of the big deals about the Bell Bull Prairie, one of the reasons it even matters is because there's an endangered bee that lives there. It's called the Rusty Patch Bumblebee, Bombus affinis, affinis, something like that. And there's also a threatened wildflower called the Prairie Bush Clover, Lespedeza leptostacea. Again, sorry about that for how I pronounced it. Also, Illinois Natural Areas, the INAI, has described it as a very high ecological quality and diversity. Now, I do wonder if it's considered so high just compared to everything else we have today. Maybe back in the day, 200 years ago, it wasn't that high. You know, it was just a normal prairie. But today is considered one of the highest. It's one of the best that they've, they have in Illinois. So there's, there's this fight going on, and it goes all the way back to the early 1900s. The people who want it gone is the local airport, the Greater Rockford Airport Authority. Now, in 1946, this prairie and and about a thousand other acres around it were designated from Camp Grant to Greater Rockford Airport Authority. Great. So let's establish something right from the beginning. This airport owns the prairie and the land on the prairie, right? They don't necessarily own the bees, but they own the prairie. So you skip all the way from 1946 
Nothing eventful happens. 1968, the airport actually destroys part of the prairie. And the public goes ballistic. There's an outcry to the point that the governor steps in, Sam Shapiro, to save the prairie. Oh, also, sorry if I didn't mention this before, but the Bell Bowl Prairie is in Rockford, Illinois. So in 1968, the airport destroys part of the part of the prairie. And the public outcry is so great that Sam Shapiro, the governor at the time, steps in, saves the prairie, and the airport actually concedes. Eight years later, the prairie is added to Illinois Natural Area Inventory. So basically, the state recognizes it as a very important natural area due to its high ecologic value. In 1977, the airport promises to preserve and manage the Bell Bowl Prairie, right? This is a really important promise. Not only do they promise that, but they say, hey, the Natural Land Institute of Illinois is actually going to take care of it for us because this is their, they're better at this than we are. And I think that happened the next year. I think that happened in 1978. They hand over the reins to the NLI. Now in 2018, the airport, so we're skipping from 1977, 78 time to 2018, 40 years, the airport decides to build. Now, mind you, they did not notify the NLI, the people that they said they would leave in charge of this prairie. They didn't say anything to them. Was that intentional? No clue. It could have been that they thought that if they didn't say anything, no one would notice. Or it could have been, it's been 40 years. They might have lost the information that they'd even left them in control. Or th- if there was a signed contract, you know, back then they weren't really keeping things on computers. They had like thousands of files all over the place. I run an office. It's hard to keep track of stuff sometimes. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and 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 just assume that they might not have known. Well, in 2021, summer of 2021, construction begins, right? And by August 2021, so within a month or two, people notice and they immediately notify the NLI and the Illinois Department of Natural Resources. Now we start getting spicy. In September of 2021, the uh, Sinisippi Autobahn, which I have no idea if I'm saying that correctly, uh, the NLI, so the Natural Land Institute and other conservation groups just wage war on uh on the airport on the rockford airport uh they are looking for legal options they're raising awareness they're starting facebook groups they're going out there and protesting late october the airport says that they are suspending construction until further federal consultation is completed so basically they said hey we hear you're crying out we'll talk to federal people and i think at this point the airport's like we're gonna get our way we'll just jump through the hoops and they're kind of rolling their eyes well during the winter a lot of spicy things going on. You got some lawsuits handed back and forth. People, uh, they're suing. At one point, the DOT gets sued somewhere in there. Uh, there's some dramatic board meetings, very strongly worded letters. I read through a lot of these letters. Most of them are like really boring. The last couple of them are basically the not quite threatening, but basically the airport is like, hey, we're doing this and there is nothing you can do about it. Um, and at one point in February, February 2022, this real awkward thing happens. These youth activists get up, go to Forest Hill Country Club, where Mike Dunn, the airport director, is speaking, and they rudely but peacefully protest. So imagine this. You've got, I mean, at max, you're talking youth activists. So people under 18 are going in 
to this speech that this guy is giving and just ruining it. Like that might sound heroic and brave. And to be honest, it kind of is, but that is awkward. Imagine being in that audience, listening to this guy. And then all of a sudden they come in. If you want to watch the video, they can't, they posted it on Instagram. I think under save bell bowl Prairie Instagram. Uh, and, uh, my goodness, I cringed the whole time, but I don't know. It did give me a little bit of a, a happy sense that our youth are stepping in and taking action on things that they believe in, which to be fair is how this country was started. So we like the attitude, um, but we don't like the moments. So they go in and they do that. People are fighting for their life out here, or at least they're fighting for the bees lives out there. Save the bees. Am I right? And after reports from the Federal Aviation Administration, which means that the Rockford Airport got the Federal Aviation Administration involved. I'm sure they had them involved from the beginning, but they're basically meeting with this larger federal group and saying, hey, we've got to jump through these hoops. What do we need to do? The Federal Aviation Administration goes to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and has to jump through a hoop by getting their approval. So they say, so they make a big report, they have a report in the bees, and they basically say in the report, yes, building this would probably hurt the bees. And so because of that, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife responds to the Federal Aviation Administration saying, you should reconsider, and this is in quotes, you should reconsider the implications and effects of the construction within the prairie due to the rusty patched bumblebee and the negative effects the, con the construction will have on this species. So the U.S. Wildlife, uh, Fish and Wildlife Service basically says no. They deny it. They say, hey, you can't be building here um, because this would negatively affect the bees. Now listen to this. The Federal Aviation Administration goes back, changes their report, and they, op they have a statement about how they changed it, why they changed it, and right, it's going to sound logistically nice. Um, when you're listening to a salesman, all products sound good. Right. So they go, they change their report and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service literally says, oh, cool, go ahead with it. So they they don't think like, oh, man, this report looks different than it did just one year ago. Uh, maybe we should do something about that. Well, the Illinois DNR then just agrees with the Fish and Wildlife Service. They assume, hey, if those guys are doing their research, we're fine. We'll just agree with them. That way we both don't have to do the homework. Right. Why should Billy and Sally do the homework when they, one can just copy the other one? Um, and so early in March, the FFA, the Federal Aviation Administration, says in an official statement, they find, this is quotes, find the proposed federal action will not significantly affect the quality of human environment. I agree. Destroying eight acres of prairie is not going to heavily affect the quality of human environment. So what does that mean? Who won? Well, on March 9th, Early in the morning, a Thursday, 6 a.m., a bulldozer takes to the prairie, starts bulldozing it. Someone who was there named, I believe I'm saying this right, Jesse Mermel, who was, was just just fought for the prairie and then knew it was going to end. So they watched the bulldozer. I, I don't know who would torture themselves sitting through that, just watching your, your loss, you know, says, we just watched as this one single bulldozer made pass after pass. There were no words at this point. There wasn't much we could do but bear witness. It's irreplaceable. How hypocritical to call ourselves the prairie state. That is true. That's fair. Here's, here's why. Here's why. Because Illinois once had 22 million acres of prairie. 22 million acres. 
And at this point, it has less than 2,500 of those, or at least it's estimated by Illinois.gov that there are roughly 2,500 acres remaining. And now you have eight or so less acres of that remnant prairie. So we go back to the statement by the FFA. They find the proposed federal action will not significantly affect the quality of human environment. I agree. Eight acres less of prairie is not going to hurt anybody, but... 21.8 million, 0.98 million acres less of prairie will start to hurt the human. So it's basically we're having a battle of mindsets here, right? We have we have the mindset of the airport, uh, which is saying, "Hey, more, higher consumption, faster, bigger, more efficient," and then we have the other side, which is, hey, we need to conserve what we once had. These bees are going endangered. We are responsible for other species. We need to, uh, What Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility, right? As the smartest uh, and most powerful species on the planet, we have a responsibility to these other species. Uh, and instead, we're just bulldozing them through. Um, now, those two, that's what this whole thing represented to us at Hawks and Native Seeds. We didn't, I mean, we plant thousands of acres every single year. So eight acres of prairie isn't a big loss. What is a big loss is it was a big hit to conservation. We were trying to conserve, you know, some of the last remaining prairie that there there is that uh, that's been there for thousands of eight for thousands of years, and uh, we lost that battle. We lost it to efficiency and consumption and uh and and growth i love growth i at heart am a business person i love business if you ask anyone in the office you've got carol and kent who are farmers and conservationists you've got fred who's our books person you've got ben who's our uh, weed specialist you've got peyton who's our numbers and big brain guy and then you've got myself and i'm the business person and uh so i i totally understand it and I also want to say we understand the airport owned the land. They own the land. They can do what they want with the land. And but so why why is it a big deal? If someone owns land, they should be able to get get to do what they want with it. I mean, that's why we fought I feel like that's why we fought for freedom is is uh, hey, this is our country. We want to do what we want with it and we definitely don't want people telling us what to do with it without representation. Right, so it becomes it, it, it. It's a mentality. It's something we're fighting for. Well, uh, I could see if if the government starts stepping in and telling people what they have to do with their land, that's a much less enjoyable and probably economically viable place to live. So I do understand that side of it, but you can't get around the fight for conservation. So that's what this whole podcast today is about. It's not a long one. I don't want to I don't want to uh hit people too hard with it, but I want to walk it back all the way to where things get changed in our country. A lot of people blame the government or rag on the government. Say the government needs to do this, the government needs to do that. Well, those same people will complain about what the government does do, right? So no matter what side you're on, half of the country's going to hate you if you work in the government. And the government actually isn't driving a lot of those decisions, right? You've got lobbyists, you've got big 
get big companies paying, you know, I, I wouldn't say that there's illegal things going on. You can say that if you want, I'm not here to, I'm not here to be put in jail tomorrow. Uh, but what I will say is that big money moves our economy and our governmental system. So if you want things done, you need big money behind it. How do you get big money behind it? Let's take a big company, Pepsi, right? Pepsi is starting, uh, a program, of uh they've started a program of of carbon credits um and the they since they've started that they've started pushing carbon credit laws to be put into place by the government um well who's why is pepsi spending money on these carbon credits it's because it's what their consumers want pepsi is not a multi-billion dollar company for no reason it's because they sold things to you and to me we are the ones who drive the big companies what drives us that's why we're here today that's why we're talking because you can complain about the airport you can complain about the government you can complain about the u.s fish and wildlife service you can complain about the neighbors you can complain about whatever you want but if you're not starting with the change if you're not let's say willing to drink one less pepsi then why are you fighting them last summer my wife and i were cleaning out our we were cleaning our house and we realized that our whole house was filled by just she and i her and i something grammarly forgive that we're just the two of us are filling our whole house our house was 1500 square feet with a thousand square foot basement four bedrooms and two bathrooms and we filled that sucker to the brim and i remember we just sat down and we said something has to change we cannot live like this why do the two of us need a whole house like that and that changed a whole mindset for me for a year straight every week we brought a huge box of stuff to the thrift store or gave it away to friends or family hand-me-downs i got down to eight t-shirts I've only gotten two t-shirts since then. And every time I get a t-shirt, I either throw one out or I give one away. I don't need more than that. If you're, if you have a thousand t-shirts, why? It's just bigger loads of laundry that you have to do. I mean, you're going to do laundry once a week anyway. Why have a thousand t-shirts or why do it once a month and have to do eight loads? That's horrible. There's no real point to it other than we want it. Now I will say the mindset when I sat down and said, I'm going to get rid of some of these t-shirts. That was tough. Because I thought, well, I really like this one. And I really like this one. And I really like this one. Well, we had to give, I had to give up some things that I wanted in order to make a difference in my life. Something else we did, we moved out of the house. We got a smaller house. Something else we did, we planted pollinator around our house because we wanted to make a change ecologically. Um, and the impact, we wanted to give back to the earth that was, that was giving us so much. We had had enough with the consumption lifestyle. We don't need it. We can literally have whatever we want. My wife and I can do whatever. We can go on vacations. We can buy, you know, whatever toys we want. We could get cars, you know, get loans for cars, for nicer cars. But why? Our cars get us from place to place just fine. A 2009 RAV4, you know, we could go out and get some brand new 2023 this or that. But but why? Because we like to look better in front of our friends because we like to drive a little faster on the interstate. Now, I will say, I've got an uncle who loves fast cars. And for him, that's what he wants to spend his money on. Everyone has wants to spend a little money on something. They want to have a little extra. That is totally fine. But if you've got the nicest car and the nicest shirt 
and the nicest shoes and you go on vacation and you're buying all these things and you're getting double extra larges when you're at McDonald's. I mean, my goodness, how much consumption do we need? So what is the point? What in the world does this Bell Bull Prairie have to do with our consumption as humans? Well, I think we lost a battle. I think we lost a battle against greed and consumption and bigger is better and new is better. And my goodness, why not just make everything bigger than we possibly need? Because then we can sell a little bit more because the consumer wants it. We lost a battle to the our stomachs are going to run our lives. Now, that may seem like a far-fetched stretch, but if you look at yourself, what do you see? Do you see someone who takes modestly and gives generously? Do you see someone who loves a lot and is slow to anger? Because for me, this whole thing, it put me on a spiral that showed me that it, it all starts with me. I must make the change in my life. I must put my money where my mouth is. No pun intended. I must be the difference I want to see in the world. And as a great philosopher and poet, Michael Jackson once said, I'm starting with the man in the mirror because I cannot rag on things around me in this world if I'm not willing to make a change. Now, I could sit down with you and explain to you economically and ecologically and uh, humanitarianly why conservation is a good idea, but I think you know. I think you understand that consumption without regard to things around us leads only to our own destruction. And if we want to see a difference in the world, we must make the change ourselves. And as we come to a sobering final chapter in the Bell Bull Prairie Saga, I hope you will take a good look in the mirror too, because conservation happens one mind at a time. I sat down and was editing this and realized I should probably give some of my sources for this so that I don't get in trouble for these quotes. Um, a lot of my sources came from savebellbowlprairie.org. I read through Natural Land Institute report of the situation, so the naturalland.org. Um, I read from news.wttw.com, which I believe is a local Illinois news outlet. I read through part of the Bell Bull Prairie Wikipedia, um, the Rockford Registry Star, which is their local thing. It's rrstar.com. I watched and, and read a lot of their Instagram and Facebook posts, so save Bell Bull Prairie on Facebook or Instagram. Um, and those were most of the sources. I'd find things here or there. I mean, uh, I mean, Vox came up, actually, believe it or not. So shout out to my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Watson, who taught me to be sourcing my stuff. I also think it's important to note that I did reach out to representatives for Bell Bull Prairie NLI and Rockford Airport, and I did not hear from any of them or receive any statements. Until next time, thanks for hanging out.